HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. I'm Michael Ameko from Food Talk. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, a cooking store located at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Today's episode number 30 of Feast Your Ears, and I'm in the studio with Thomas McQuillan of Baldor Specialty Foods. Baldor is one of the largest food distributors on the East Coast, um, serving the restaurant and retail food sectors. They do thousands of orders a day. If you live in New York, um, you undoubtedly have seen their trucks probably this morning. You'll probably see one on your way home today. Um, I, I heard an anecdote, although I can't prove it, that Baldor um, often has more trucks on the road to New York City than FedEx. So, welcome, Thomas. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Um, it's a it's a it's a pleasure to to have you in. Uh, the topic of today's show is really going to be um, a, you know a lot about Baldor's efforts and your efforts to reduce the amount of food scraps that go into the waste stream. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys create somewhere in the neighborhood of you know in the past had created what was considered somewhere in the neighborhood of I think 10,000 pounds a day mm-hmm. um, of what had been going just into the landfill which not only is a waste of edible food it's a cost I'm sure to the company um, and you know now you guys are working to sort of change that and that I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed with the efforts you've taken and can't wait to can't wait to hear more about it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, you know, I think that's a great uh, introduction. I appreciate that. Baldor is really committed to this uh, initiative, and we've put a lot of effort behind trying to identify uh, solutions around the reduction of waste, and it's really, um, it's really come a long way in the last eight months. Yeah, it's it's something that, that I definitely have watched. I mean, we we are working and continue to work on it um, at the Brooklyn Kitchen. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had Diana Kennedy come in for a, for a cookbook talk, mm-hmm. um, and you know what a what an inspiration just in the food world. I mean, she's you know in her nineties and still travels from Mexico and still lives alone for most of the year and sleeps in her pickup truck driving around to find different recipes and things in Mexico. The very first thing that she did when she came in the door was look in the garbage. 
mm-hmm. and she said, I judge everywhere that I go about the quality of the work that they're doing with food by looking at what they're throwing away. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, which, which I was fascinated by. And I think that, you know, especially living in the world we live in, you know, in, we are, we're in a time of incredible waste, incredible amount of things going into the landfill still. Um, and there, the, the efforts that, that can be made, um, are, are incredible. I mean, let's, you know, we can, we can start by talking about vegetables. I mean, you guys yeah. supply all kinds of foodstuffs, not just vegetables, but vegetables are a really big one. And, you know, on my drive over here today, I have taken to, you know, when I was a kid, this wasn't true. When I was a kid, you know, apples got peeled, the cores got thrown away. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we made applesauce and to make applesauce, we would just cut up the whole thing and mm-hmm. leave it in there. My mom liked to leave the skin in there to, to keep the applesauce pink. Um, but I've taken in the last few years after reading, I don't know, some editorial somewhere, I just eat the whole thing. Uh-huh. And I always think about that. It's like the perfect, it's like the perfect thing. You have, there's no waste. There's nothing yeah. left except maybe the stem, which you could eat, but you know, isn't particularly pleasant to chew, right. but you can eat the seeds. You can eat the core. You can eat the whole thing and you don't have to worry about it. It's already in its own package. You don't have to, mm-hmm. don't have to unwrap it. Right. You just eat all of it. Yeah, exactly. And I think when you think about why a fruit or vegetable grows the way it does, nature intended for that adult layer of that fruit or vegetable to protect everything that's inside. And in that process, it just makes sense that it's pushing out so many, so many of its nutrients to create that shell that if we eliminate that shell and don't eat that, then we're eliminating probably the most valuable part in many instances <laughs> yeah. of the fruit or vegetable. So – you know, you you do see a movement around this. More and more chefs are using the whole carrot. They're not necessarily uh, they're cleaning it, but they're not peeling it before they use it. And I think the I think we peel carrots because that's what we've always done. But when you stop and think about it, why are we peeling that carrot? And uh, so because lot, that guy used to be on this corner in Union Square showing us the carrot peeler, right? And yeah, that's that's it. It. <laughs> that, may, that may be part of it. That may be part of it. But if you are going to if you do insist on pe- peeling that carrot because you just you know. That's 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 what you're going to continue to do. Then do something with the peeled carrot. Either yeah. put it in your stock or do something else with it. But the option can no longer be and should never have been the trash. Yeah, it's it's uh, and it's something that makes makes sense from a nutritional standpoint, mm-hmm. and it really makes sense from a financial standpoint and, mm-hmm. and a resource standpoint. I mean, right. we're talking about something that a farmer had to grow, mm-hmm. and then that it got sold more than likely to someone by the pound mm-hmm. in almost every case, whether, yeah. you know, through, through somebody like Baldor, it comes to the Brooklyn kitchen by the pound. I'm selling mm-hmm. it to the customer by the pound. And then you're going to peel it mm-hmm. and you're going to throw away 10 to 20% of what you just spent money on. Correct. That is a hundred percent edible. That's right. In one way or another. And you're throwing away the nutrients and you're making it more expensive than it needs to be. That's right. If there was one lesson to come out of this conversation and that was it, that would be a great influence to have uh, on people's thought process around how to manage their um, their vegetables and fruits. You know, try to yeah. eat more of it in every instance that you can. And I think, I mean, you you brought up a, a point as we were chatting before the show here in the studio that it has to do not with a change. You know, the carrots are no different than they were last year or mm-hmm. the year before a hundred years ago mm-hmm. it has to do with changing the perception of the way that we are thinking about them mm-hmm. and it has to do with if you peel that carrot not thinking about that section which is in fact edible as waste correct that you have to you have to think about the whole object as in a completely edible object and what we can right. do with it and that may take some may take some creativity right, right? Yeah. but i think that it's it's important for people to derive pleasure from that creativity and, and in figuring out. So tell me a little bit more about how, how did this start for Baldor? I mean, Baldor is a, a big company that's been doing this for a long time. Right. And, you know, not only just moving through product that might be, you know, 
have overbought for have too much of, mm-hmm. but also doing a lot of, of sort of pre prep work. One of the th- right. one of the things that Baldor offers to its to its customers, in many cases food service or restaurant, is that some of the work gets done ahead of time, mm-hmm. which saves labor on the front end. For Correct, business. and that's in our fresh cuts division, and that fresh cuts division is going to produce, you know, two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand pounds of cut carrots and celery and beets, etc. Uh, every week we offer. On a daily basis, over 500 SKUs that are available to any customer, uh, up to 1,400 SKUs of special products uh, that are uh, available to our customers. And so as a result of that food production, there is a lot of leftover vegetables and fruits. Our original motivation, uh, uh, our president, Michael Muzak, uh, asked me to look at this issue of the products that were being generated as a result of all of our food production. And was there something we could do with it? And our first thought um, was, this is simple. This is going to be, you know, this is a great compostable product. And so we'll partner with a composter nearby. It's problem solved. And what we, what we quickly realized that was that the cost of actually carting that material to a composter was going to be far more expensive, almost double that uh, of our current cost to send it to transfer stations. Hmm. Um, so it was cheaper to throw it out. So it was cheaper to throw it out. Now, you know, the jury's out on what actually happens to that food product when it gets to the transfer station. You know, is the hauler doing something other than sending it to landfill? You know, that's that's another conversation. But for us to be more deliberate about getting it to uh, to to a composter was sort of our what what we thought was the best solution. And then we realized, uh, yeah, we started looking into other alternatives because that one was going to be so so expensive. And we've looked into anaerobic digestion as an alternative. And uh, that actually led us to, to say, you know, at some point, well, wait a minute, you know, a lot of this is edible food product and what, what could we do with it? And so we started experimenting by dehydrating it and creating a dried vegetable blend, which is something we're still uh, developing. Um, and then we, it occurred to us one day to start reaching out to some, some of the pig farm partners that we have and to see if they'd be interested in the product. And that really has been, I would say the most successful component of our efforts because the food products are perfectly uh, designed for uh, for uh, for the pigs. Sure. They they love them. Right. You could imagine. Might as well have a living digester, right? I mean, so you have them living, digesting them and yeah, turning them into and, another food product. And then that pig effluent at the end can be your product that's used in uh, composting. Yep. So that becomes really exciting because the pigs going to eat anyway. Um, many pigs in the United States are fed on. Things like soy, barley, um, uh, corn, and you know when you think about the pig's digestive system, it's so similar to the to the human digestive system that you can only imagine they'd prefer to eat a romaine leaf as opposed to that, and so they respond very positively to it. And you know, I want to ho- I want to believe that the quality of the meat will improve sure. through access to this. But we really solve a big problem, don't we, by uh, putting this product to use as a feed stock think for imagine for a moment also that the feed that's coming to new york state for example to feed these pigs comes from a very uh distant place sure and is Um, and is processed and is processed exactly and so there's transportation costs there's co2 release so the closer the pigs can be to their the origin of their food and if we have this food product available then it's sort of a win-win-win yep um and now uh, some of the some of the product um that is the you know you have a you guys call it uh you don't call them scraps no no so that was actually something that that uh was in the beginning of this project um one of the things i was 
I was reminded of as a problem was we kept referring to food as waste, and I really had a problem with that. Because when I looked at the the outer leaf of the romaine or the top of the of the uh, carrot, for example, or the tip of the carrot, I and you, you know it just looks like the rest of the carrot to me. So let's come up with a name for it. And I was actually in a meeting with um, Chef Helen Park from Fresh Direct, and we were just chatting about you know we need to create some no- positive nomenclature around um, these food products. And I you know I don't like to refer to them as byproduct and or scraps or. And um, she came up with Sparks. She said, what about Sparks? I said, I love it. I don't know why. Why do I love it? And she said, well, Scraps spelled backwards. Right. And so we started referring to the products as uh, Sparks. Sparks. And that has been uh, – now I hear people you know, refer to Sparks even just sort of talking about food products that might be valuable for pig consumption. Like, you know, and so that's really, really kind of exciting. That's great. And and some of those sparks are, in fact, making it into human feed as well. I, they mean, are. I know, you know, at the Brooklyn Kitchen, we sell um, made by Lucas veggie burgers. Right. And I, I know that Lucas is sourcing a lot of stuff from there because it's being ground up anyway. And so, you know, if the if the crudite plate you still have to peel right i mean there there is a certain aspect of what what is being done that you know perhaps down the line you'll be able to convince all those corporate customers that okay we can use just a washed carrot here right, right. but for now the expectation is that the carrots and the celery that are lined up on that crudite plate are peeled and made by lucas was one of the very first partners that we we started to explore using um some of what we call sparks now um, in his veggie burger and he was very generous with his time in trying to figure out a solution around it um we yeah so so yeah he was really really a super super and is baldor now distributing that product we don't distribute that product and we're really not working directly on this with him but that's worth revisiting um but misfit juiceries is using for example our carrot peel Hmm. and um some of our other products in the making of their juice and we do distribute their juice at baldor so the misfit juicery product is now and that's really an exciting opportunity because they're actually not only uh sourcing blemished or disfigured fruits and vegetables to make their juices but they classify the sparks product as part of that so uh so it meets the criteria i should say to make that juice so now we're taking we're you know we're creating a juice product that is essentially made of product that would have otherwise gone to waste sure and 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 it's incredibly nutritious it's incredibly (laughs) nutritious um it's hpp so if there was any fear of any kind of uh, 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 bacterial growth or anything like that, those are dispelled because of the HPP process. And so it really becomes an exciting partnership um, for us. And those are the kinds of solutions that are really exciting because at the top of the hierarchy should always be human consumption. Right. Of course. Um, and I sort of look at the pig consumption as the second part of that hierarchy, maybe anaerobic digestion and composting is a third. I keep vacillating as to whether or not anaerobic digestion into composting is the way to go or do you go directly with composting but i think that there's a lot of discussion around anaerobic digestion and whether or not uh, that's a viable option um as a go forward solution but i think in partnering with restaurants who are also trying to do something with their uh extra food products including front of the house products kitchen waste um that there will always be a source the question is can it be captured in such a way that isn't isn't cost prohibitive for the restaurant right but there's enough of it to have 
uh, enough to create sure. energy. We, so. I mean, we run into that issue at the Brooklyn Kitchen. We're trying to mitigate waste, and, mm-hmm. and you know, we try to either make something out of things that you know, if we have some wilted kale, we try and use it for something else, or if mm-hmm. we have a bunch of potatoes that are starting to grow some eyes on them, you know, that people aren't going to immediately reach for out of the case, even if we put them on sale. Right. Trying to get those things to a to a soup kitchen, mm-hmm. to a food pantry, or, mm-hmm. or have something, but you know, volume does become an issue there. I had a conversation with another retailer recently about about kale and you know he, he in his store it's in Virginia they have a much more robust prepared foods program than we currently have and so mm-hmm. that's where they sort of send a lot of stuff and of course mm-hmm. sometimes the produce buyer you know will just sort of throw stuff at the chef and be like well here you get rid of this for me and the yeah. chef kind of gets annoyed about it and mm-hmm. one of the issues that he had and I wonder if this is something that you you could speak to or you found is you know he sometimes feels like okay well so you take you know six bunches of wilted kale but then you're gonna you have to add a bunch of pine nuts to it, and you have to add a bunch of lemon juice, and you have to add mm-hmm. a bunch of other things to make a product you can then hopefully sell. Right. And so, how many extra inputs mm-hmm. are you putting in, and what's the cost of that to try and save and get some keep something in the consumption stream that you might have lost? Right. Well, I think the answer to that is pretty simple. The base product, whether it was the wilted kale or the fresh kale, is still a base product, and you're going to need sure. one to create that dish. And so what's really exciting about that question, Harry, and I, I, I think this is, you know, this is where I, my thoughts are these days is around, you know, let's be more flexible. Let's not, let's not think that we have to have such a... Uh, a menu that is prescribed and does not have some variability to it. It wouldn't be great to have a menu that said, you know, uh, uh, you know, there's always going to be an item on the menu that is a food waste reduction item. I don't know how you you communicate that. Maybe you call it a sparks item. Maybe. Um, And then, and then it includes something that either the distributor had as an extra product that they can encourage their customer to take sure to then do something with so that they're part of the solution yep um i mean i wonder if there's an opportunity speaking of juicing you know a lot of our customers juice at home mm -hmm. and if there's an opportunity to say have some kind of you know juicing box that is made up of some of that waste that is carrot skins that is wilted kale that is you know ginger ends things like that Mm -hmm. that then makes it you know you know bruised apples that then is very easy to say well here just throw this all in your juicer it's brilliant because you're going to do that anyway why you know why buy a perfect apple the spark csa box yeah the yeah. spark csa i think we figured it out in the show great it's brilliant let's do it we could take six or seven items put yep. them in a box yep. you get it you know once or twice a week yep um just make sure the box is recyclable or you exactly. or it's yeah. an rpc or returnable yeah um and um yeah, I like that a lot. That's really kind of very cool. Awesome. Well, we're gonna we're definitely we're gonna work on that after this. We're gonna take a short break and uh, hear from a sponsor here at Heritage Radio. And when we come back, we're gonna keep uh, talking about the exciting. I feel like it's a new, it's exciting new realm we're 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 into here. Yeah. Cool. The following program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn. 
Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential small hotel, is located on a quiet tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. The one and only Dave Arnold brings the noise to Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday on Cooking Issues. Coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. If the bomb was going to drop and you only had 15 minutes, which is like, I can, I can make a sandwich in 15 minutes. You'd be eating a sandwich. I'd kiss my wife, make a sandwich. If you believe that it's all about to be over, why eat healthy? I'm not a freaking Neanderthal. I like a tempered ice cream sandwich. But it's the only way to get around it if you're a party master because you, you're going to wind up, like, your kitchen's going to fill with dishes. And is Some there... people have commercial dishwashers in their house. Who? I've seen them. Who? I've seen them. Who? <laughs> really rich people. <laughs> For more mile-a-minute knowledge from Dave and the crew, listen to Cooking Issues, available on Heritage Radio Network, iTunes, and Stitcher. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and today I'm speaking with Thomas McQuillan of Baldor Specialty Foods about the really exciting work um, I think that they're doing in figuring out what to do with what had in the past been called waste from food, carrot peels and um, fruit scraps and things like that that come out of their incredibly large-scale production and figuring out a way for people to eat that because, you know, there's only going to be more people in the world and we're going to need to figure out how to feed them somehow. Mm-hmm. And here we have an opportunity to take stuff that, you know, it's not, I mean, it's not free, but essentially it was stuff that was not being used to feed people and we can use it to feed people. Right. Um, so, Thomas, I'm interested to know about the 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 sort of systems at Baldor and if mm-hmm. those had to change um, in terms of how the fruits and vegetables are being processed in order to accommodate this work. Yeah, I, I think that's something that may uh, change more in the future, but up to this point, we have really tried to focus on not change, not having a negative impact on our production and our um, and our yields. Right. Uh, as, and so we don't want to really do anything that's going to cost the company any additional money to actually solve so you don't want to solve problem one problem and create another the one part that has changed is the collection of the product we you know for example if we're selling a pig farm we'll collect about 900 pounds of vegetables a little bit more than that in fruit in a very large uh, one cubic yard box which is lined with a plastic liner and then the product is collected um in the aggregate and then it's uh, put, to, put to the side, shipped the next day to the pig farm. For example, with uh, Flying Pig Farms up in Chushu, New York, we'll send them 8,000 pounds of product twice a week. They're feeding about 500 pigs. Yeah. The pigs will clean that up in about two hours. But that's all collected, you know, sort of. And so what's nice about that solution is it's everything coming off our peeling and cleaning sure, lines. Sure, because the pigs will And eat the pigs whatever. eat it all. Yeah, and, and the pigs are not, you know, you don't have any issues of, like, allergy or, you know, the Correct. pigs. And if the pigs don't like something, they're just going to leave it on the ground. That's, That's right. Difference. And they like it all. I'm sure they do. They like it all. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure Mike Yezzy loves it, too. I'm sure yeah, and Mike Yezzy loves, loves the it. opportunity to get all that fresh feed right. for the pigs. That's right. Um, and, and have it just sort of show up there, because that's a whole other, I mean, you know, farmers have an incredible amount of logistics to deal with. You know, and one of the reasons that industrial food 
you know, went to the model of like, well, let's bring in all this dry grain, Mm -hmm. feed them all this dry grain because it's way easier to store and way easier to move. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, and we started about three months ago, a little over three months ago with him. And you can imagine in the middle of the winter, this Baldor truck pulls up with 8,000 pounds of fresh vegetables. I mean, if you're a pig, that's got to be like, you know, the most exciting thing. Yeah. Um, so so that so we really haven't changed production. We've just, you know, on the on the collection side we have, but in the right. rest of the facility, not so much. But as a as a rule, we're trying to always, always continuously improve and utilize the maximum amount of that vegetable or fruit that we possibly can. Sure. There's a, you know, there's a Japanese um, term called motanai, mm-hmm. and it's a, the, the, the hatred of waste, mm-hmm. um, and that gets applied to food in Japan a lot. I was in Japan uh, a couple of weeks ago and visited um, an area where they grow olives. Mm-hmm. And about 20 years ago, that's also an area where they raise some really incredible Wagyu beef. Mm-hmm. One of the farmers saw his neighbor throwing away all the pressings mm-hmm. from making olive oil and thought, mm-hmm. well, what if I fed that to my cows? And so now there's now a very, very small but dedicated group of farmers who are taking all of the waste, olive pressings, and feeding it and finishing their cows on it. And it creates, I mean, already they were raising really happy, really high-quality cows on an island. I mean, it's very, it's beautiful. These cows have you know, great views of the ocean, the inland mm-hmm. sea and stuff. But, you know, they've now taken a product that was just going into the, mm-hmm. into the landfill, and they're feeding it to the animals, and it makes the animals love it. Yeah, and it makes them more healthy, and it in fact you know adds oleic acid into the meat uh-huh. of the animal. Right. So, and I think uh, that, that's a great point because even in the instance of your own restaurant or or, or um, store in the or school in the case of uh, Brooklyn Kitchen, you know having a fresh pair of eyes come in and look at it, and they can say to you just like you use the example of looking in the garbage early, and it kind of tells tells you something about the organization, there may be something being wasted that's, that somebody with a fresh pair of eyes would say, well, but, but did you know, you know, that could go into composting in this Brooklyn garden? You know, yeah. they'll take that. Right. Or, you know, we know somebody who's ma- already collecting uh, materials for this purpose. Yeah. And so sometimes you just need somebody to look at it. Or they may say, you know, you realize you're throwing out stock, that uh, products that could be made, could be making your vegetable stock that sure. you're buying. So, so I think you made a point earlier that's really interesting. All sustainability efforts at the end of the day should add to the bottom line because essentially waste, just in, by nature of what it is, it's taking valuable resources or taking your assets and disposing of an asset. And that's really you know, what this has to be all about. Creating efficiencies, it just makes sense. Yep. Um, and reducing the misuse of our assets is something we should just naturally want to do. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, and, the, and the culture has not been that. Mm-hmm. Um, Danielle Vogel, who I know who owns Glenn's Garden Market in D.C., which has two locations, she has a zero-waste mandate for her kitchens and her groceries. That's excellent. That, you know, I mean, every ounce that gets thrown away has to be validated for why mm-hmm. whether it was you know actual harmful mold or whether it had actually rotted or whatever but they her her kitchens and her people are not allowed to really throw anything away right so i wanted to find out a little bit about how how did you end up in this position well wow. um, how, how did you become you know in charge of figuring out all this exciting stuff well, it's interesting i i when i think back on you know sort of my career i think that at least for the last 15 years i've been thinking about sustainability initiatives just naturally. So before I joined Baldor, I owned a company in New York City called IDC Corporation, which distributed um, mechanical insulation supplies, uh, asbestos and lead mold abatement supplies, uh, fire stopping supplies, etc. 
And when I think about the mechanical insulation side, we used to use a logo that said we, we've always been green hmm. and our colors were green and white. Um, and we use that logo to try to encourage people to think about the value that mechanical insulation uh, provides to the environment and the fact that the better you insulate, the less energy it takes to provide the heat or cooling in your home or office, etc. And so, so I, I was with that company for 12 years, and so that was a big part of who I am. Years ago, I owned a company called Waiters to Cater back in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, Waiters to Cater basically provided waitstaff to catering companies. I did that while I was going, uh, completing my graduate degree at St. John's University, my MBA. Um, that was a very successful business and a lot of fun. Um, and I actually had wind up clo- wound up closing that business because I moved to Rome, Italy for St. John's University to open up their Rome campus hmm. uh, back in 1995. Uh, and that campus still exists and uh, offering graduate business programs in government and politics. But I... But, um, I eventually made my way back to the United States, and uh, I went to work at Temple University in Philadelphia, also managing the MBA program there. And then I left there and went to IDC uh, in 2002. Uh, I had sold the business, IDC. My father-in-law and I owned the business. We sold it in 2012. I stayed on for a few years and then started thinking about what I wanted to do next. And I really wanted to get into the food industry, but I was thinking that uh, the restaurant scene was not for me. I go to bed at 8.30 at night, so that wasn't going to work. Um and I, I thought I would leverage my logistics and distribution experience with food. And I have a very good friend of mine, Charles Balducci, who's with uh, Merrill Lynch, actually. Um, but he and I had a he had, he invited me in for a lunch. I met him for lunch, and he he said, "You need to be my cousin, T.J. Murphy. He's the owner of Baldor Specialty Foods." And the the really ironic thing was, my last day at IDC, my wife had seen a Baldor truck in Greenwich, Connecticut, where we live. <laughs> And said, you need to go work for Baldor Specialty Foods. So that was just really <laughs> yeah. bizarre. I met TJ shortly after that. We hit it off. I met Michael Muzak, our, our president. We hit it off. And and I started working for Baldor. The idea was that I would be a business analyst or, or work on special project to my, as Michael assigns those to me. And um, this just got took a life of its own. It, it was sort of a natural fit for me. I love being in the food industry. I love what Baldor does. Um, it's very easy for me to... Uh, promote Baldor as a food distributor because we we distribute the most wonderful food products and, and educating people on, you know, these products that are that I might not even be familiar with, and then you know that's really exciting. Um, and then our commitment to the environment and and our sustainability efforts is just has just been a perfect fit for me, and they've been very generous in allowing me to sort of run with this. That's um, great. I mean, I, I think that. You know, and and those changes, I think, at Baldor, and Baldor is a company that's been in business for a long time, twenty five years. And you know, those changes, I think, are incredibly not only are very progressive and very smart, mm-hmm. but necessary. I mean, mm-hmm. there are there are you know the other sort of players. I think um, at the same level as Baldor are not as committed to sustainability and are not as committed to transparency of sourcing. And to see that sort of change at that level, because you know we are we are very small, and you know we pride ourselves on knowing that you know if we're buying stuff from the community garden down mm-hmm. the street we can tell you the name of the farmer we can tell you where it right. came from and, mm-hmm. and those sorts of things and it's it's really encouraging to see you know we've been in business now 10 years mm-hmm. you know that sort of thing spreading and not right. just spreading at the bottom mm-hmm. among people who are small producers or starting as artists and food producers but really expanding into companies where you know we are never going to make a huge difference just our one store it's just mm-hmm. not realistic but we mm-hmm. are committed to these things but right. seeing a company like Baldor that has such a 
um, a handle on and access to restaurants and producers and stores and really going after these things yeah. is incredible because yeah. what that's going to mean is that even if you know even if Baldor doesn't serve a market say in Chicago there are other distributors who are looking at Baldor and right. if you guys are a leader mm-hmm. in the industry people are looking at that and saying oh wait a minute look what they did to their bottom line right right, right. look at all that they're not spending all these thousands of dollars on these extra dumpsters that mm-hmm. are going into the waste stream mm-hmm. they figured out how to sell all this stuff to make juice that's right you know yeah and uh yeah, you'll hear Michael Muzak talk about uh, that, you know, this whole farm-to-fork phenomenon and, and Baldor being the two. But the two is huge. You know, bringing the food product from the farm to, to the restaurant is a huge piece of the puzzle. And it's a very complicated yeah. piece in several pieces. And Baldor is just extraordinarily good at that. But one of the things that I, that I, um, I, um, I find remarkable, and it's a commitment to the environment that is just so extraordinary, is... When we send those 300 trucks out every day, we're committed to backhauling in every instance that we possibly can. So it becomes an opportunity for our farmers to partner with Baldor in a way that takes them out of the distribution and logistics model, allows them to stay on the farms and do what they're good at, which is farming. And we then ship up to them and their restaurant partners all around them, right? And then we haul back from the farm and... You know, that's just a brilliant model and for so many reasons. And we are absolutely committed to the local uh, the, the local movement. Um, in fact, at Baldor, we have a local pledge, which we encourage our customers to become part of. If you take the local pledge with Baldor, it essentially means that whenever possible, whenever you're ordering a product, for example, a spinach product, you will immediately be uh, assigned in our system the local product that... Uh, is available for in spinach, and that could be a local Jersey spinach, for example, and uh, whenever they're available. And so it really, what is it going to do? It's going to increase the amount of local products that are sold. Uh, there may be a slight increase in cost, but we believe by helping the farmers grow this way that perhaps they can grow to scale and actually sure. lower their cost. So hopefully over time it will lower the cost to the, to the customer. But it really, it really answers the question of gaining momentum locally both for the farmer and for ultimately the restaurant partners to have access to even more local products yep. with less of a co2 footprint um well and i, and I think it's, it, it's and i think that what that i mean that the local pledge initiative i think is great and you know we we obviously try as much as possible to buy to buy local but i th- and i think i think we're sort of the exception right i think for us we were already sort of trolling the lists and saying well is this local and is that local and, and what's local and what's not i think where it really stands to make the biggest impact is with somebody who's bigger right mm-hmm. and, you know i'm sure you guys are delivering to food service say at the stadiums right, right? and they probably have a standing order for spinach as a yeah. perfect example mm-hmm. for ten thousand pounds a week right. or whatever it is mm-hmm. and they're not going to be going back and looking at the list yeah we, you know when when spring comes around and be like oh wait can we switch that to Jersey? Mm-hmm. They're never going to look at it because they're just cycling it in and cycling it out. And yeah. so then you guys are able to get them to sign on to that yeah. and support those local farmers by just inserting that product in place. Right. But for, for the whole community in, in this market from Portland, Maine to Richmond, Virginia, you can go on to our baldorfood.com website and you can see which restaurant partners have taken the local pledge. Nice. And if that's, if that's important to you, then you're going to see that they've made a pledge to the local farm community. And I just think that that's profound, and it's going to have a positive impact on 
on on our on our the ability of our local farmers to grow. Uh, it just it, and it makes a lot of sense on so many levels. Yeah. Well, I think we're we're about out of time, but I I appreciate you coming on. Is there anything else, Thomas? That you, I mean, any, what what's the next awesome thing that Baldur is going to start to do that everyone else is going to want to follow? Uh, that's that. that, <laughs> that um, so uh, you know, we're really focused uh, right now on on the local piece. That definitely is is taking a lot of our our energy. We. Uh, we want to. We're very much involved in promoting uh, the value of produce as a nutritional component in everyone's diet. We're involved with a number of um, uh, not-for-profit organizations, like Edible Schoolyard, for example, and we want to continue to emphasize to people the importance of you know a healthy diet. And a, and you know the majority of the products we sell, and certainly all of our produce and fruit, answer that uh, that question. So we we make that commitment. The other thing we do at Baldor, which we didn't really touch on, is the donation side of our business. Mm. In addition to trying to find as many sources as possible to sell all of our food products into, when we do have excess product that can't be sold for whatever reason, we do have a number of donation partners in the city, City Harvest, Food Bank, some smaller uh, local. Um, Organizations like Pat's um, Outreach Ministry, which actually uh, takes some of the produce products we have and other products, makes bags and goes door to door to sort of the homebound in the Hunts Point area, which is just so exciting, uh, bringing them much needed food and produce particularly. So we really have a commitment to to the community and we, we call it Baldor Cares and it's it's something that lots of lots of the members of our Baldor team get involved in, and and we're absolutely committed to. So, you know, we'll continue to have a, a footprint, uh, make a footprint. One of my colleagues, Pat Ahern, produce Pat, who yep. you may have seen yep. before, he recently said uh, when he thinks about sustainability, he said, you know, Baldor, we have an impact, but not on the environment. And I just think that that really sums up our vision in, nice. in terms of where we're heading. So well, that's you. great. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on, and I, I hope that everyone listening, you know, now when you see those Baldor trucks out there, um, you know, that sparks you to think not just that there's a big truck that's like you know idling or delivering or you know stuck in traffic, mm-hmm. but really understand you know all the good that is really being done um, by by that organization. Thank you. And uh, you can find produce that we source from Baldor, uh, and hopefully some scraps coming up. We'll work on the CSA uh, sparks. program. Sparks. sparks. Sorry, sparks <laughs> uh, at the Brooklyn Kitchen. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening awesome. today. Big thank you to Kristen Baylor, my producer here at Feast your ears and david tattashore for engineering you can find feast your ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org and on itunes and you can follow me on social media at the food baller thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 